I was really moved by that testimony from Victor. 50 successive years, 50 Christmases, one after another in institution and then incarceration. And then he meets Christians and then he hears the gospel and then he meets Jesus and everything is different. And he goes from being victor to living in victory. What a beautiful testimony that was. Maybe there are people here this morning, maybe some listening online, and you, for you it's been year on year on year that you've just felt trapped in sin and darkness and shadows and despair and weakness and brokenness. But Jesus can turn a victor into victory, and he can do it for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your presence with us. Lord, we need you. We really do. You know where, you know how we need you. And even as we're listening this morning, we draw near and we say, help us, Lord. Save us, Lord. Amen. Well, we've been following a a series uh, on Jesus called The One, and he is the one and only. And we've been looking at some of his names and titles, and today we're going to be thinking about his name Jesus, what that really means. What's in a name, Shakespeare's Juliet asked. What's in a name? For Romeo, that name meant love and life, and death. And for Jesus, his name means love and life and death. In our gospel reading, the angel Gabriel comes to Joseph in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from God's Spirit, and she will bear a son. And you shall call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. According to Nameberry, the baby naming site, the top girls' names so far in 2020 are Luna, Olivia, and Aurora. And the top boys' names are Oliver, George, and Noah. But when... Jesus was born, one of the popular names then was actually Jesus. Israel were under oppression yet again by an enemy, an occupying force. And naming their children had a kind of prophetic element. It was almost a kind of enacted prayer. To name someone Jesus was to be calling on God for rescue, for deliverance, for help, for salvation. Because Jesus in Hebrew, Yeshua, or Joshua, means God saves. It comes through the Greek and through the English to us as Jesus. But it's a name that means God saves. 
And it was a prayer, if you like, a prophetic act calling upon God to save them. I like to think of Jesus growing up and he's outside playing rugby and uh, Mary calls to him and says, the Lord saves, where are you? And he says, I'm coming, mum. And his dad working away in the carpenter's shed. The Lord saves, come and help me. He says, I'm coming, dad. Whenever Jesus introduced himself to someone, he'd say, hello, I'm the Lord who saves. That was his name. And of course, that was his job description. That was his raison d'etre. Now, our English word save, that comes from the Latin salvus or salvus and just means safe, safe, sound, and secure. In Hebrew, it means rescue or deliverance. In the New Testament, it takes on the, the sense of completeness and wholeness. All of those themes wrapped up in that word, wrapped up in that person, Jesus. But why do we need saving? Saving from what? Saving for what? Well, you will give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save them from the presence of their sins, the power of their sin, the consequence of their sin. And he will save them for God. He will save them for life as God intended. He will save them for wholeness. For many, the language of being saved from sin sounds rather alien and awkward and uh, embarrassing even. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, we know in those early hours when we can't sleep, we know we need help. We know we're not making it on our own. We know deep down that we need rescue. We know that we need God, yet where is he? He seems so distant and absent at times. We know we don't meet our own standards that we've set for our life, let alone the ones that God may have set, and we're powerless to help ourselves. I've been listening all week to a great track by, written by Brian May of Queen. I love Queen. And uh, it's actually a song about relationships that have gone wrong. But it has a deeper resonance and I think echoes the breakdown in our relationship with God and the consequence of that. It's called Save Me. The lyrics, some of you will know it, you're old rockers like me. It started off so well. Think of the Garden of Eden. It started off so well. They said we were a perfect pair. I clothed myself in your glory and your love. That's how it was for our first ancestors in the garden, clothed in glory and love, a relationship that started off so well. How I loved you. And then the shadows crept in. And he says, how I cried, save me, save me, save me. I can't face this life alone. Save me, save me, save me. I'm naked and I'm far from home. I hang my head 
and I advertise a soul for sale or rent. I have no heart. I'm cold inside. I have no real intent. Save me, save me, save me. I can't face this. Powerful words. Powerful and true. So opposite for so many. That's how it feels for so many. For some of you watching today, perhaps some of you sat here. But our cries for help don't fall on deaf ears. And the Lord hears. The Lord sees that we're hurting. And the Lord moves towards us in love. Jesus saves. Jesus rescues. I got three short points. First, Jesus saved us because we couldn't save ourselves. He did it because we couldn't. You will call him Jesus for he will save you from your sins. Our world faces huge problems, environmental and geopolitical, socioeconomic. We're in a kind of global lockdown with pandemic. Never seen it before. Racism terrorism, and these are all shockwaves that impinge on our lives. But God sees a deeper problem. These are actually shockwaves that come from that initial earthquake, which is us and our sin that breached that intimacy with God. Sin is not a term trending on Twitter or TikTok or Snapchat but it is the fundamental human condition. we got other words for it, other ways to describe it. Whichever word you choose, you know the truth of it and the reality and the experience of it and the consequence of it in our society. Sin is anything we say or do that contravenes God's will and builds up a wall between us and him. And sin is universal. The Bible says everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's standard and his glory. There's no one who's good, not one. And sin is our ruin, it is our unraveling, our undoing. At our kind of very core, we're damaged. There's a rupture, a breach. Our kind of DNA is damaged because of our sin. And sin spoils everything it touches. And sin is a liar because it suggests and offers a kind of tempting things. And when we fall for it, we fall with it. Sin ultimately separates us from God because God is pure and God is holy. You can't even look upon it. And when we sin, when we go our own way, when we go against God's will, then we put this gulf between us and God. And God is life. And as we're separated from God, so we dissipate. We just fall into the shadows. God is light. And it's as if we just spiral into oblivion. We're the fading people. Lewis talked about us as living in the shadowlands. We die from the moment we're born, the clock is ticking. 
And I think most have a vague awareness of this. Even if they haven't got a kind of structured theological categories to see it as sin against God, they know something deep down in them is dark. It's not right. They're off kilter. Changing our environment or our education or what we eat or getting healthy or self-help or professional help. These are external things. They can, they can kind of polish us up a bit. But our problem is fundamentally spiritual. Our problem is that we're not who we should be. And we're not with whom we should be. We're not with God. And nothing is right when we're not with him. Fifty years of winter, always winter, and Christmas never comes. All the noble religions recognize the reality of human sin, or guilt before God. The consequences of that being separation now and separation in eternity and a living kind of dissipation here. But with the exception of Christianity, all the noble religions tell you to save yourself. And they construct a system whereby you work hard and you walk in a certain way and you offer certain devotions and certain um, religious offerings and, uh, and devotions and so on so that you can work and walk your way to God. That you build up credit and merit before God, and that hopefully the scales will weigh in your favor on judgment day. The good will outweigh the bad, and you will be welcomed in. That's how the religious systems work. They recognize that you know that you need saving, and they say you save yourself, and you make yourself right with God, righteous on your own effort, Christianity is so radically and fundamentally different. It says you can't do it. Your good, however good, is not good enough. And you will never put in enough and do enough good to outweigh the taint of your sin. You just won't. You've just thought or said or done one wrong thing in an average lifetime, that's 30,000. That's a whole heap of mess. I'm friends with a chap who for decades was a professional criminal and gangster. He's not a Christian, but I'm working on him, and God's working on him. And he said this to me. He said, I've done some really bad things. I've also done some good things to help. It kind of balances out. We were in Westgate Shopping Center, and he said that. I said, that no, it doesn't. It doesn't balance out, mate. It doesn't. You know you need to be saved, but you can't save yourself. Someone from outside has got to save you. The only person who can do that is Jesus. I'm working on it. Baron von Munchausen, you'll know the, the sort of fable. He rode a horse into a bog, and then he tried to get out of it by pulling his own hair and trying to pull himself and his horse out the bog. Is that going to work? No. You cannot save yourself. You need rescue. And Jesus, whose name means 
God saves is the one who said, I have come to seek and save the lost. I've come to do it. Jesus saves us, firstly, because we cannot save ourselves. And the first step in being saved is to recognize you need him and to turn to him for it. Secondly, Jesus saved us by not saving himself. At the cross, when Jesus hung between life and death, earth and hell, the authorities gathered and they watched and they mocked and they scorned and they ridiculed him. And they said this, he saved others, let him save himself, if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. He saved others, let him save himself. Jesus, of course, could have called legions of angels and come down off that cross and sorted things out there and then, but he didn't. The irony, the mystery of it all is that by not saving himself, he saves us. God says, if you sin, you will die. We sinned and we all die. But Jesus, who never sinned, saves us by taking our place in our stead as a substitute for us. God in his holiness and his justice must punish sin. Not to do so is to make him unjust. He must punish wrongdoing or else he's not just. But the just judge judges himself in our place. And the eternal son of God becomes flesh and blood and his destiny right from the start. Jesus to save us from our sins. How does he save us from our sins? By taking the punishment and penalty for our sins. God judges him in our place. That sounds like an anathema to so many. And it is a complete mystery. We'll never fathom it, despite all our best attempts at algebra. And it is a beautiful marvel that somehow Jesus the Son of Man, representing all humanity at the cross, dies in our place. The punishment that should have come on us for our sin is put on him. And he dies. Three days later, he rises again because his death is sufficient. And it's an acceptable sacrifice to his Father. It's a perfect death for us. And he rises again, victorious, breaking the power sin and death and hell and ascends to heaven. And we who put our trust in him, we draw down the benefits of his death for us and we are forgiven and free and made fit for heaven. He saved us by not saving himself. What a thing. There's an ancient story of an old man by, an, by a river praying and in the Middle East one day he sees a scorpion floating helplessly on the water. And so this old man, he holds onto a branch and he reaches out and he takes the drowning scorpion and the scorpion stings him and he drops him. But then he reaches out again and he picks it up and he takes this scorpion to safety. His hand is swelling up. A bystander sees this and says, what are you, what are you doing saving 
that scorpion? Why are you risking your life for that ugly, evil thing that's going to sting you? And the man says, it's in the nature of the scorpion to, sing, uh, to sting. And it's in my nature to save. And it's in the nature of sinful, fallen humankind to sin and to sting. And it's in God's nature to reach out and to save us. He saved us by not saving himself. He saved us by not saving himself. You've just got to hold that for a minute. This is the great wonder of Christianity. And then thirdly, Jesus saved us because he loved us more than he loved himself. This was our New Testament reading from Paul's epistle to Ephesians. He says, because of his great love, mega charis, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, makes us alive in Christ when we were dead in our transgressions by grace. What do we bring to the table? What do we trade for this? By grace. You don't bring nothing but you. And you say, I, I'm wretched, poor, and broken. I haven't got out. I got nothing. I'm not claiming any credit or merit. I haven't built up any karma or balanced any scales in my favor. It's just me. And I need help. I'm a, I'm a scorpion. Rescue me. Jesus didn't come to lay down the law. He came to lay down his life. And he does it because he loves us. And there at the cross, the loveliest life that the world has ever known gives up his life to give us life. Love lies bleeding. What a thing. God loves you. I like what old Professor Don Carson says. He says it was... He didn't come up with this because I've heard it elsewhere, but I could only find it from him. He says, it was not the nails that held Jesus to that wretched cross. It was his love for sinners like you and me. Come down off the cross. You saved others. Save yourself. No, I'm going to stay here and take the weight of the world's wickedness on my shoulders because there's no other way of dealing with it. Jesus really couldn't save himself if he was to save us. Unfathomable love. Here's the thing, you can trust someone like that. Maybe you've gone all your life and you've been tret wrong by your family, your friends, your, your school, your work colleagues. You've just known what it is to be done wrong to you. You think, how can I trust this, Jesus? Because every time you've put your weight anywhere with anyone, they have let you down. Listen, you can trust him because no one else died for you. No one else loves you that much to bring you to be with them. I've been studying the great philosopher Bertrand Russell. And what an interesting man. I talked about him the other day here. He rejected God and then admitted he spent his whole life trying to fill that space looking for love and trying to find God in loving others. He said this, human affection is to me at bottom an attempt to escape from what has become a vain search for God. Looking for love in all the wrong places. 
It is not a vain search. It is not a vain attempt to look for God. As you turn to him, he has already turned towards you in love, said the philosopher Kierkegaard. His daughter, Catherine Tate, Russell's daughter, said that all his life he was looking for bridges out of loneliness. Bridges out of loneliness. That's what the cross is. That's what Jesus is doing. He's building a bridge and he's reaching out to those who spent 50 years in an incarceration or an institution. He's reaching out to them. Or some academic who spent all their life in libraries, yet lonely deep within you, reaching out. Or someone who's just grown up overwhelmed by a sense of isolation or rejection or fear or trouble outside and inside. And he's reaching out a bridge to your loneliness and saying, you'll always be lonely until you come home with me. Queen says, save me, save me, save me. Jesus says, you don't have to ask, that's why I'm here. Just put your trust in me. There's a classic movie, a few years old now, Titanic. Anyone seen that? Come on. I think some of you are lying. You've all seen it. And in it, Kate Winslet plays Rose, and there's a scene where she's an old woman, she's re reminiscing about her experiences on the Titanic, and about her encounter with uh, um, Leonardo DiCaprio, who plays Jack Dawson. And he saves her from suicide, and then at the end, as the ship goes down, he, he saves her in the water from drowning by finding a kind of door or something like that, and he puts her on the door, but there's only enough room for him, and he's in the water, and eventually he goes. And she says at the end, now you all know that there was a man called Jack Dawson, and he saved me in every way that a person could be saved. Except he didn't. I mean, it's a fiction. But the gospel ain't a fiction. And Jesus is the man who saves us in all ways. All ways. Because he loves us. Last year, the billionaire megastar Kanye West he shook up the pop industry, didn't he? He produced an interesting album. But he wrote a song called God Is, and it says this, You won't ever be the same when you call on Jesus' name. Listen to the words I'm saying. Jesus saved me, and now I'm sane. He saved him, saved me, he saved Victor, and he can save you. And if you have never turned to him, if you've never put your trust in him, today's the day. Today he's just waiting. He's knocking. He's inviting you. Just turn to him and say yes. Yes to the God who says yes to you. Say, here I am to the God who says, here I am for you. Jesus, you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin.